morning, Orchard. Take out your Bibles this morning, if you would, your mobile devices, whatever you choose to use for the scriptures. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 18 this morning in just a moment. If you might be a guest today and don't have a Bible with you, we'll also put these verses on the screen. We're excited today as we're continuing our Christmas series, these three weeks leading up to Christmas Sunday, where we're talking about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen? And we're looking at kind of a behind-the-scenes look at the Christmas story, um, where angels appeared to three different people. There was an angel that appeared to Mary. There was an angel that appeared to Joseph. And then next week we're going to see where the angel appears to the shepherds and, and how they felt and how it affected them. And what we remember in the scriptures that all three times when these angels showed up to these people, he said the same thing. Fear what? Not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. And so last week we saw the angel Gabriel show up to Mary and share the news that God had for her. He said, fear not. We talked about overcoming the fear of what God might ask us to do. Next Sunday we're going to look at when the angel shows up to the shepherds and they're afraid. And he says, fear not. We're going to talk about our fear of where we stand with God, our relationship with God. Today we're going to look at the counterpart to Mary. We're going to look at Joseph and we're going to talk about the fear of what people think about me. The fear of what people think about me. Now, let me ask you to be honest by a show of hands. How many of you, if you're honest, you'd say, I sometimes find myself caring a little bit too much about what people think about me. Would you raise your hand? Okay, keep them up nice and high. Keep them up nice and high. Anybody that's not raising their hand, just turn to them and say, you didn't raise your hand because you care too much what people think about you. And that's why you wouldn't raise your hand. Proves my point. But we do. We care sometimes too much about what people think about us instead of what God thinks about us. We think, you know, am I wearing the right style of clothes? You know, the people going to like these clothes? Are they going to like the car I drive? Are they going to like me? You know, I know people that they cannot sleep if they, at night, if they post something on Facebook and they don't have at least 25 or 30 likes on their post. You know, what are people thinking about that? Or, or their Instagram. How many hearts did I get from people? Or people, you know, take their selfie. You know, and then they post it. You know, do people like my selfie? Did they like my duck face? You know, on my selfie. Where did that come from? You know, the duck face thing. And, and, and people sometimes are worried about what other people think. Joseph is going to battle with that thought as we look at the Christmas story today. He's going to battle between what is easy and what is right. Between what people want him to do and what God wants him to do. Before we jump into the story here in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. This is Matthew's uh, gospel of the Christmas story. His account of it. Let me remind you that Mary and Joseph are engaged to be married. In this culture the engagement would last about a year. And unlike today. Today if you're engaged to somebody and you decide to back out of it. You just break off the engagement. Hopefully get the ring back. And that's it. And you move on to someone else. It wasn't like that in this culture. If you were engaged in in Mary and Joseph's culture, it was almost as if you were already married. It was a binding agreement. You just had not been physically intimate yet and consummated the marriage. And if you wanted out of the engagement, you actually either someone had to die or there was a divorce that had to take place. And so that's the context. They're not yet married, but they're engaged. And then here's what happens in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Let's look at it together, either in the scriptures there or on the screen. It says this, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was what? engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. She becomes pregnant. And we talked about this last week when Mary first finds out that as a virgin teenage girl, she's pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit with the Son of God. Now, Joseph is going to find out from this angel, but we're not sure the timing, but it's very likely that Mary had already tried to tell Joseph about this. 
but he didn't either believe her or he didn't want to believe. He, he didn't know. But I mean, you can imagine how that would have went. Hey, Joey, I need you to sit down. I got to tell you something. I'm pregnant with the Son of God by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine how that conversation would have went? And Joseph would have been like, really? Are you, are you no, don't give me that. I saw that guy at the well checking you out the other day. You know, because it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And so from a human perspective, you know, he's thinking either she's a liar or she's crazy. I mean, this is humanly impossible because he hadn't been with her physically. So had somebody else been with her and she's saying, you know, I'm pregnant with the son of God by the Holy Spirit, even though I'm a virgin. And Joseph must be wrestling with, you know, if I stay with this girl, if I stay with Mary, what are people going to think about me? What are people going to say about me? Because remember, in this culture, to get pregnant before you were married was punishable by death. And so is he going to stay with her or not? You know, and he's thinking, what will people say? What will people think? You know, nobody's going to want to hire me. Oh, that's the Joseph, you know, that's still with Mary, that's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You know, nobody's going to want to, if he tries to get out of this relationship, you know, what other father is going to bless Joseph to marry his daughter? Because, you know, he was with Mary who got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. No one's going to want to do business probably with Joseph. He's going to take his donkey in for an oil change. And they're going to be like, we don't service that kind of donkey here. I mean, he's got this reputation. So either he doesn't believe her or he doesn't want to take the heat to stay in this relationship. And he's planning to bail out because he's concerned about how this is going to look, what people are going to say, what people are going to think, the gossip that's going to go around. We know this because look what it says in verse 19. It says, Joseph, her fiance, was what kind of man, church? He was a good man. He was a good man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to do what? Break the engagement quietly. Some versions of the Bible even say to give her a bill of divorcement because that's what it took in this culture. So he's like, you know what? I, I think I'm just going to bail out of this relationship because I, I, I'm too concerned about what, what this is going to make me look like, what this Mary's going to look like, what people are going to say, what people are going to think. I think, I, but I'm going to, I, I care enough about her. I love her enough that I'm not going to make, you know, a public display of her and disgrace her. I certainly don't want her, you know, to be killed for this. So he's going to do the noble thing and he's going to break off the engagement quietly and not shame her. And maybe he's thinking, you know, maybe if we just do this quietly, we can both just start over. I can find someone else. She can find someone else. You know, we can kind of save our relationship uh, or our reputation with other people. But what we're going to see today is that Joseph is about to learn some very important lessons about pleasing God instead of pleasing people. I hope you'll take some notes this morning because there's three great principles in this story. If we are going to be more concerned with pleasing God than pleasing people. The first thing Joseph is going to learn is this. Pleasing God oftentimes means disappointing people. Isn't that true? Say yes. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. We see this in verse 20. It says, as he considered this, what's he considering? Do I stay with Mary? Do I not stay with Mary? Do I go ahead and marry her? Do I not? You know, what's God going to think? What's people going to think? What am I going to do? He's wrestling with this decision. He's probably a little nervous. He's a little afraid. And as he's considering this situation, this dilemma, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph. Son of David, the angel said. And let's say it together. Here's the theme for, for our series. Do not be what? Afraid. In the old King James, it says, fear not. Do not be afraid. 
I know this doesn't make sense. I know this seems crazy. I know you're worried about what people are going to think and what they're going to say and whether they're going to believe you or not. But I'm telling you, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And then he confirms probably what Mary had tried to tell him that he was wrestling with. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's true. And she will have a son. And you are to name him what, church? Jesus. Why is he to be given the name Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. That's what his name means. It means Savior. And all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. The prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before this took place, had prophesied that this very thing was going to happen. And just as a side note, this is one of the reasons why here at Orchard Church, we believe every word of God and that we have a book that we can count on. Amen? Because there, there, there are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in the Bible that were foretold hundreds and thousands of years before they happened. And then they happened exactly the way God said they were going to happen. And the birth of Christ is one of those examples that lets us know we have a Bible and a God and a Savior that we can trust. We believe the truth of God's word. And what did this prophet prophesy? In verse 23, the prophet said, Look, the virgin will, will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So Joseph gets this news and he has a decision to make. And he's going to learn that pleasing God often means disappointing people. Because he's got a choice. What am I going to do? And you can imagine some of the emotions he's probably feeling right now. Kind of like Mary last week. I mean, on one hand, he's thinking, wow. I mean, for centuries, the prophets have been telling us that there's going to be a Messiah. And there's going to be a Savior. And he's going to come and he's going to save us. And now this angel is telling me that this Jesus is the one. And I get to be a part of God's amazing plan. And that would have been exciting, right? But then on the other hand, he's like... Now, I may choose to believe God, and the angels showed up to be, but I don't think the angels are going to go tell everybody else this. Are they going to believe this or not? I mean, what are people going to say? What are people going to think? Are they going to believe this? I mean, everybody's going to want to know, how did she get pregnant? Some are going to think that, you know, this story of the Holy Spirit is a cover-up, that I really did it, and yet we weren't married. Other people might think, well, it wasn't me, that somebody else got her pregnant. And they're going to think, well, either Mary's lying, or Joseph's lying, or we're both lying, we're not being honest here. And, and there was part of him that probably thought, you know, I just don't know if I want to sign up for this. I don't know if I want to stay or if I want to go. I don't know if, I don't know if I'm going to do what's easy or I'm going to do what is right. And will Joseph do what? Here was the dilemma. Will Joseph do what God wants him to do? Or will Joseph do what people want him to do? Is he going to give into the fear of what people think more than what God thinks? And the truth is this, Orchard Church. Every one of us at some point in our life, if you haven't already, you will. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to face the same decision and dilemma that Joseph faced. At some point, am I going to make a decision that pleases God or am I going to make a decision that pleases people? If you've been there, say yes. You're going to face that. Some of you have already faced that. Some of you, God is preparing you to face that, that dilemma. What am I going to do? And I want to give you two thoughts here that Joseph had to wrestle through that are important for us to understand, especially if you're someone that you go, you know what? I needed to hear this message today. I, I, I needed to know what is in this message because I know that I sometimes struggle with what people think about me and pleasing people more than pleasing God. Here's a couple of thoughts. You have them in your notes. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. 
Let me say that again. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is a surefire quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. If your driving obsession and force is what do people think? What do people think? What do people think? You can't be thinking about what people think and what God thinks. You know, am I cool enough? Do they like me? Do I fit in? Am I going to be accepted? And a lot of people wrestle with this. But let's flip it around because here is the answer and here is the remedy to care more about what God thinks than people thinks. Because becoming obsessed with what God thinks about us is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. Amen? Let me say it again. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. And we all make a choice. Am I going to live for the applause and the approval of people, or am I going to live to one day stand before my God and my creator and hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. What we're talking about here is are we going to live for the audience of many, or are we going to live for an audience of one? And that one being our God, our creator, our Lord, our savior, answering to him and not being afraid of what people think, but being more concerned with what God thinks. You know, Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. What did he say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all the other things will be added unto you. In other words, care more about what God thinks than what people think, and then everything else will tend to fall into place. I love the way that the apostle Paul said it in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. We'll put it on the screen. Paul said this, obviously, I am not trying to win the approval of who, church? People. I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. I would not be Christ's servant. Just turn to somebody next to you and say, I want to please God. More than people. Now that's easy to say, isn't it? But it's hard to do. It's hard to live out. When God comes to us and he asks us to do something that seems unbelievable and we're worried about what people are going to think. You know, I, I learned this the hard way a long time ago. If you try to make everybody happy, you make nobody happy. Isn't that true? You try to make everybody happy in this world, in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your church. If you try to make people happy, you'll make nobody happy. You know, you do your hair one way and people say, oh, that looks great on you. That makes you look really thin. And some other group says, oh, I really don't like your hair that way. It makes you look not so thin. You know, you wear your clothes one way and one group of people says, oh, that's really cool. That's how everybody's wearing it today. And other people say, you know, why are you wearing your clothes that way? That's not what they're doing today. You know, you stand with one political party and one group of people loves you and the other group hates you. You stand with the other political party and that group loves you and the other hates you. And then there's people that stand in the middle and we all hate you. It's like pick a side. You know, you, you, li you like one sports team, and the people that like that sports team, they love you, but everybody else can't stand you. You know what's even worse? You could be a Patriots fan. Nobody likes Patriots fans or a Raiders fan. You know, you could. We had the funniest thing, I gotta share this with you, that happened uh, this week. We had our staff Christmas party. And we went out to dinner, and then we came back to our house afterwards, and there was like 24 of us, and we were at our house, and we did the gift exchange. And you know, when you wrap the present, you put it under the tree, and everybody draws a number, and number one gets to go first, and they go to the tree, and, and they pick their gift. Number two can like take the first person's gift, and you know, it takes a while for somebody to finally, you know, who's going to be the first person to steal someone else's gift, and then it's on. 
you know, everybody's stealing everybody's gifts. But we had this, this one girl who's on our staff. She helps in our children's ministry, uh, Cookie. She was in the first service, and, and we had a lot of fun because she was sitting right in here. And uh, she, she was there, and she is a Patriots fan. She's a big Patriots fan. So we were all razzing her about being a Patriots fan, fan and, you know, the cheaters and all that kind of stuff. And so she was like, leave me know. So she picked, I don't know, she was like 10th or something of 25 to pick. And, you know, so far the things that had come out, the gifts, you know, there was like candy and there were Starbucks gift cards and there was blankets. And, man, I mean, the ladies were all fighting over the blankets. They must have knew this weather was coming and they all wanted the blankets. And so it's Cookie's turn to pick. She goes to the tree. She picks a gift. She opens it up and it is an awesome Broncos mug. <laughs> the, the, the only gift that had been picked. And it was brought, and we all were giving her a hard time. She's like, oh man, whatever. And so I was like three more picks later, and I, I was like, well, I'd like a Broncos mug. So I took her Broncos. She was trying to get rid of it, and I said, I'll take the Broncos mug because I will appreciate it. I want it to have a home that will be appreciated. So I take the Broncos mug. Well, now she gets to go back to the tree. She goes back to the tree. The true story. She goes back, she picks another gift, opens it. It's a Broncos scarf. <laughs> the the only two gifts that night that were Broncos, she picked both of them under the tree. And we said, Cookie, God is trying to tell you something. The Lord has spoken from on high. Are you going to please God or man? What are you going to do, Cookie? So we, we, we're trying. We're trying to convert her, you know. God's trying to convert her. We'll, we'll see what happens. But you know what? I, I just believe this. It's much easier and freeing to live for an audience of one than to live for an audience of many. Isn't that true? It's easier to just live your life for God and to live for his word. And Joseph's going to learn that in this story, and so are we. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. Here's another principle we see in this story. Not only does pleasing God often disappoint people, but pleasing God often means dealing with criticism. It often means dealing with criticism. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, then can I just tell you, you're probably not ready to be used by God. Because all of God's people that do things God's way get criticized. We can only imagine the grief and criticism and ridicule that Mary and Joseph had to endure in their community. Trying to share this story. They would have been scorned. They would have been laughed at. They would have been gossiped about. You know, you can just hear people saying things like, you know, I hear Joseph's not really the dad. He's not really the father. Or, or somebody else saying, well, you know, she got pregnant before they got married. And I saw his donkey parked out in front of her house at 2 a.m. one night. And they were not doing Bible study at 2 a.m. <laughs> there would have been all kinds of jokes and gossip. And, you know, because that, most people probably wouldn't have believed this story. This has never happened before. In the history of mankind where a teenage virgin is pregnant with the Son of God. Pleasing God leads to criticism. It often means you're going to be criticized. You know, I worked in student ministry for like 10 years before becoming a pastor. And we used to challenge students, you know, to, to take a stand for God and make good decisions. And we had many of our students, as they, they grew in their faith and they got discipled, they decided, you know, I'm not going to go to all the wild parties that everybody else is going to. I'm not going to get on drugs. I'm not, I'm not going to get drunk all the time. And, and sure enough, they would tell me how their friends would tease them and laugh at them and ridicule them and make fun of them. But you know what? They made a decision. We're gonna, I'm going to please God more than I'm going to please people. 
You know, there's single people today. As they grow in their relationship with Christ, they say, you know what? Well, I'm going to save myself and my body for marriage. I'm going to do it God's way because I believe that I'll experience God's best and his blessings. And, and people say, oh, are you kidding me? Everybody's doing it. You know, I mean, don't you know what time we live in? Don't you know the day, the age we live in? You know, try before you buy, all this stuff. And they, and they tease and they laugh and they ridicule. But people make a decision. I have never met a couple, a Christian couple, that waited to be physically intimate in their relationship until marriage that regretted it. But I've met many that didn't wait that wish they would have. But, but there's ridicule. There's, there's criticism. Uh, we've had people here at Orchard Church that they said, you know what? This year as a family, instead of going on vacation for ourselves, we're going to use that money and we're going to go on a mission trip to Orchard Church. We're going to visit one of our feeding centers and one of our missionaries. And we're going to do something of lasting eternal value. And people will tease them. Why would you do that? Why would you give up your vacation? Why would you spend your money that way? We've had people here at Orchard Church that you know, they've grown in their faith and walk with God and realize how much the, the scriptures have to say about uh, being good stewards of our finances. They said, you know what? We're going to live debt free. We're not going to be in debt because the Bible says that the borrower is servant to the lender. We don't want to live that way. You know, we don't want to be normal because normal is broke. And, and they make decisions. You know, we're going to downsize our house. We're going to downsize our cars. We're going to spend differently. People go, you know, what are you doing? Man, live it up. You know, just, just spend like everybody else does. And enjoy, you know, what you're, you're making. And there's criti criticism and, and, and ridicule. We have people who left good, very good paying jobs in the secular world to go into ministry because they believe that's what God was calling them to do. But sometimes there's criticism. You know, I tell this to leaders all the time. Those who make the biggest difference in this world are those who experience the greatest pain. Isn't that true? I mean, you get out there, you get on the front lines, and you really try to accomplish something, you try to do something, be ready for the bullets. Because when you're on the front lines, that's where the bullets are. But I would rather be on the front lines making a difference and doing something of significance than be in the back where it's quiet and, you know, it's safe, but you don't get anything accomplished. If you're going to do something significant for God, you're going to be used by God, and you're going to please God, there's going to be criticism. Aristotle said it this way, to avoid criticism, here's what you do. Say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. Yep, you don't want to be criticized, then don't say anything, don't do anything, and don't be anything. You know, everything that Shelley and I have experienced personally and as a church of any significance has been met with resistance and some sort of criticism. In the 10 years of this church, anything that we've tried to do of significance to make a real impact for the kingdom has been met with some kind of resistance or ridicule. I remember the first time we put up a billboard on 76. You guys seen our billboard on 76 and 85, our Christmas services? I remember several years ago, we put our first billboard up. We started getting ridicule and criticism. Oh, they're just trying to be a mega church. You know, we're not trying to be a mega church. We don't want to be a mega church. We don't want to be known for our seating capacity as a church. We want to be known for our sending capacity. That we plant other churches and we send people out. We're not trying to see how big we get here. We're not trying to be a mega church. But I'll tell you this, Orchard Church, we have a mega vision and a mega opportunity in a, in a, in a community where 55,000 people within about a 10-mile radius don't go to church anywhere. And many of them do not know Jesus Christ. But we were met with criticism. We were met with, with ridicule. You know, if you've noticed the sign right here on the property of Prairie View High School, you know, it's got the billboard. It's got our, our name on it. As you drive by throughout the week, 
the reason we have that is because we bought that sign for the high school. We paid for the whole thing, donated it, but we signed an agreement that we could put our name on there as a sponsor because we bought the sign. And it never fails. About every 6 to 12 months, we'll get a call or something that parents or some teacher or somebody in the community is, is, is in an uproar that, that a church can't have a sign on a public high school. And, and the district always responds the same way. They bought the sign. They paid for it. They sponsored it. And we went through all the legalities to make sure it's not illegal. We did everything by, by the book, but there's been ridicule. I got an email just this week about that sign. There's resistance. You know, we, um, several years ago, when the Super Bowl came around and the Broncos played in the Super Bowl that we do not speak of. <laughs> that one. Traditionally in a church on Super Bowl Sunday, no matter who's playing... Around the country, attendance in church goes down about 20 to 30% on Super Bowl Sunday, no matter who's playing. And we were like, okay, that has happened every year at Orchard Church, and this year the Broncos are in the Super Bowl. Now, we would have all been a lot better off just to spend the whole day at church that Super Bowl. But anyway, because that was the best part of the day. And so we said, okay, we can either just suffer through, you know, 30, 40% you know, lack of attendance, or we can embrace this in our community and we can use this as an opportunity for outreach and evangelism. And I'm sure there were some people saying, oh, you can't have Super Bowl Sunday at church, you know? I mean, you can't have fun at church. Well, we have a different philosophy. We believe that church should be fun. I believe it's a sin for church to be boring. Amen, Orchard Church? And we were like, we, we can have fun, and we can honor God at the same time. And we came, and we worshiped, and we had Super Bowl Sunday. And instead of our attendance being down 20 30 40%, we were up 30%. We had a record attendance that day, and 25 people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ in that service. And many of them are still part of our church today. But it was met with some criticism. You say, are you going to do that again this year? Absolutely. And we're hoping that the Broncos are in it, and it's a much more enjoyable Super Bowl this year. We shall see. You know, we just got finished with our legacy campaign. Eight weeks. We're talking about what God is doing to give us a permanent facility, a building of our own. We're not just building a building. We're building a legacy. But we were talking about money and we're talking about building and you know I know people had the right heart and concern in this but I had people say oh Pastor Doug aren't you worried aren't you scared that you know our attendance will drop and we won't see people saved during that time and baptized during that time and discipled during that time I mean because people are going to know we're talking about money you know every week for eight weeks and what what God is what God is doing and there was some criticism about that. Well, let me tell you what happened the eight weeks during our legacy campaign here at Orchard Church. Because I believe that if God calls you to do something, you just do it and you leave the results to God. Amen? That's what we're talking about here. And it wasn't about pleasing people. It was about pleasing God. During our legacy campaign where we were talking about money and building, 96 people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 28 were baptized. We had 80 first-time guests and 60 new members joined Orchard Church. And our attendance was up 8% over the same period a year ago. Can we celebrate that, Orchard Church? That's what God did. I'm so glad that we were more concerned with pleasing God than pleasing people. And God took care of us. But if you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, then you're really not ready to be used by God. And we know that Joseph and Mary had to have faced a certain level of criticism. Pleasing God often means disappointing people, and it oftentimes means dealing with criticism. And the third principle that we see from this story is this. Pleasing God always 
means deciding to obey. It always means deciding to obey if we're going to please God. The Savior of the world was born when two teenagers decided to say yes to God instead of saying yes to people. When a lot of people would have said no and would have ran, they didn't. And, and if you think about the story of Mary and Joseph, they didn't know all the details. When they, when they had to decide to obey God instead of worried about what people think, they didn't know all the details. The angel told them just a little bit. The angel basically said, okay, here's the deal. You're pregnant. It's going to be a boy. His name is going to be Jesus. He's going to save the world. That's it. They didn't know the rest of the story. They didn't know. I mean, can you imagine being the parents of the Son of God? I mean, how do you raise the Son of God who's perfect? I mean, do we spank him? Do we put him in timeout? He might spank us or put us in timeout. I mean, this is Jesus here. They, there was a lot of unanswered questions, but we've said it many times. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. I appreciate one person that agrees with that. I'm going to give you another chance. You do not have to understand fully to obey immediately. And what we see is Mary and Joseph didn't understand everything completely and fully. But they made a decision to please God. We're going to obey God. And here's the amazing thing, Orchard Church. You have no idea what you're about to set in motion when you obey what God asks you to do. You have no idea when you obey here what God is going to do here and here and here and the chain of events that you're going to start in motion because you step into God's plans and purposes for your life that are probably much different than what you had planned for your life. This was not probably what Joseph and Mary had in mind. Extraordinary acts of God start with ordinary acts of obedience. Extraordinary acts of God start with ordinary acts of obedience, deciding that I'm going to please God and I'm going to obey and leave the details to God. We've seen this happen in many examples here in our church, but let me share one of them with you. There, as you know, we've been meeting here in Prairie View High School, public 5A high school for nine years in January. Nine years we've been blessed to meet here. Can we thank God for that? This has been an amazing place meet and worship God. And we've seen many students and families and teachers and the superintendent of the school district that are a part of our church because of our presence here. And several years ago, there was a husband and wife who are both teachers here at Prairie View High School. They're currently teachers. They have been for several years. Many of you would know who they are, the Hearts, Dennis and Tammy Hart. And they had grown up in different, you know, um, denominational backgrounds, and they really weren't going to a church. They weren't active in a church, but they knew that Orchard Church was meeting here at Prairie View High School, and so it was Easter several years ago. It was Easter Sunday, and they said, you know, we should probably go to church on Easter. Let's, let's go. And they said, well, why don't we try the church that's meeting here in the school? So they came to one of our Easter services. They said they really enjoyed it. They loved it. But then they kind of just got back into life and they really didn't start coming regularly. And then I think another year went by and another Easter service. They said, you know, let's go again. We really enjoyed that. So they came again and they, they just said, man, the, both these Easter services were so amazing. I wonder what it's like on a regular Sunday. I mean, is that just something they do on a special day or is it, is it that good? And so they started coming the next week and they took a step of faith and a step of obedience because they felt like God was calling them to get connected to a church. And they started coming the next Sunday and the next Sunday and the next Sunday. And they started coming every Sunday to Orchard Church. 
And then they heard about small groups and how that's how you get connected and get to know people and people care for you and they love on you and they pray for you and, and you build relationships. So they took another small step of obedience and faith and they got into a small group and they fell in love with their small group and they got to know people and they got connected. And, and then uh, they took a step of faith and they got into discipleship. And they got discipled. They started growing in their faith. They both were baptized. I had the privilege of baptizing both of them a couple of years ago. And they followed the Lord in believers' baptism. And they, they went public with their faith. And they just, began, they just kept taking these little steps of faith. Just ordinary steps of obedience and faith. But they had no idea the extraordinary things that God was going to do and prepare for them. And you know, God knows what's around the corner that we don't know, doesn't he? He knows what's going to happen next week and next month. And God was preparing them through these steps of faith and obedience for something that they were not expecting. On June 11th, they found out that their three-year-old son, Brooks, had a tumor. He had to go to Children's Hospital, and uh, they took the tumor out. They removed the tumor, and they found out that it was cancerous. It was a cancerous tumor, three years old. And they said he's going to have to face chemo. He's going to have to face radiation. And this is a picture of Brooks, week one. And it says cancer. I love this. Cancer is a big, fat doo-doo head, it says. <laughs> I love that. And then his mom, she put this on Facebook, his whole journey, every week. He had uh, 16 chemo treatments, six radiation treatments from June of this year till, till now. And every time she, he would hold up each week, week one, week two, she would put a verse. This one says Philippians. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And we've watched them. We've followed their journey. And we've prayed for them. And we loved on them. Their small group and others in our church have rallied around this family. Nobody told them to do this. I didn't call them up and say, hey, make sure you take That's just what we do here at Orchard Church. Because we're a family. Amen? And we love on each other. And we pray for one another. And we encourage one another. And... Their small group and people in our church, they've had a couple of fundraisers. And you can imagine the thousands of dollars to see your son at Children's Hospital go through chemo treatments and all this. Our church family and small group has raised thousands and thousands of dollars for the Hart family to help them with their expenses and bills. And I want to show you this picture. This picture was taken last week. And this is Brooks. December 9th, 2015. He didn't have to have chemo that day, just physical therapy. And I talked to his dad this morning. He's in this service. A week from Monday, he will have his last treatment. He's been tested twice. He is cancer-free. Can we praise God for that? Isn't that awesome? Extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. And the hearts just took one step after another and look at all that God has done. You can imagine the Christmas that they're going to have to celebrate. And we've got to be a part of it. And I don't know how this is going to play out in your life. I don't know how this is going to speak to you. But, you know, we can all take a simple step of faith and act of obedience. We can all invite someone to come to church during this Christmas season. I hope before you leave today, I hope we'll run out of those Christmas invite cards. They're back on the, the table both sides before you go out. All of you know a family member, a friend, a coworker, someone that needs Christ. This is a time of year that we have a great opportunity. People will come to church at Christmas when they don't go any other time of the year. Invite them next Sunday to Christmas Sunday. It's going to be a, a, a service where it's going to be an evangelistic day. We're going to wrap up this series with the shepherds. We're going to talk about where we stand with God and how people can know that they have a relationship with God. Invite them to one of our four Christmas Eve services. You don't know how God is going to use your simple act of obedience to invite somebody in an extraordinary way. You might be inviting our next church planter who comes and 
God calls them to ministry. You, you might be inviting the next Billy Graham. And if nothing else, you might be inviting a family that desperately needs God in their family, in their marriage, in their life right now. You, you, you might see somebody turn from death to life and from darkness to light because you just simply took a step of faith and you invited them to come. I believe that if we will take ordinary steps of faith, God will do extraordinary things. Amen, church? Let's see what God will do. Some of you have experienced this in serving. You know, we have needs here at Orchard Church. It takes, you know, two to 300 volunteers every Sunday to help us with our services and our children's ministry. And maybe you're going to step out in an act of obedience. You're going to take a small step and say, I'm going to serve. I'm going to get involved. I want to get in the game. I don't want to just sit on the sideline. I want to be a part of what God is doing here. And you're going to take a step of faith and you're going to say, I had no idea how fulfilling it is to serve other people and know I'm a part of what God is doing here. I had no idea how it would change people's lives and I'd be able to minister to kids and minister to families. We, we've seen this happen. You might be a single person and you just take a simple step of faith and act of obedience to start serving and you meet another single person of the opposite sex and you start dating and you get engaged and you get married and you have a kid and you name him Doug. You know, <laughs> you just don't know what God is going to do. Or if it's a girl, Dougina, I don't know. You never know in that simple step of faith or act of obedience, God's going to do something extraordinary in your life. I have people all the time, almost, almost on a regular basis, come up to me after service and say, Pastor Doug, you know, you remember when you did that message on giving and tithing several years ago? And you, you gave us that 90-day tithe challenge and said, if you step out in faith for 90 days and you tithe, that God will bless you. And if not, we'll give it all back. I said, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And they say, you know, we, we did that. And we, we didn't stop. We, we tithed for 90 days. We gave God the first 10%. And, and we believed God would bless. And we didn't stop after 90 days. We kept doing it. We've been doing it for a couple of years now or several years now. And we, we had no idea how much God was going to bless us as we took it at his word. And we trusted him. And God has done extraordinary things. Because extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. Pleasing God always means deciding to obey. As we wrap up our story this morning, Joseph has to make a decision. God has laid it out for him. Is he going to run or is he going to obey? Is he going to be more concerned with what people think or what God thinks? Is he going to do what's easy or is he going to do what's right? And I love this. In one simple verse, we see his answer. We see his decision in verse 24. When Joseph woke up, what does it say, church? He did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. Simply that. He simply did what the Lord commanded him to do. Above the opinions of people, Joseph valued the opinion of God. Because becoming obsessed with what God thinks about us is the quickest way to forget what people think about us. But becoming obsessed with what people think about us is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about us. And Joseph made a choice. I'm going to be more concerned with what God thinks than people think. And through this simple act of obedience and worship, because worship is obedience. And obedience is worship. Mary and Joseph were part of the greatest act of God in human history that changed the world forever. Why? Because verse 24 says, they did what the angel of the Lord commanded them to do. And it changed their world, and it can change ours. Joseph said, I am not going to be afraid of what people think. I'm going to be more concerned with what God thinks. Now, aren't we thankful that he did? Father, we thank you for your word this morning, the challenge of this story. Lord, we know that we all at times wrestle more with what people think than what you think. And God, 
may we be more concerned with what you think than what people think. May we honor you. May we please you. May we understand that extraordinary acts that you do start with ordinary acts of obedience on our part. We continue an attitude of prayer right now. Let me just ask you this question. How many of you would be honest enough to say, if I'm honest, I sometimes care too much about what people think instead of what God thinks. And, and I want to be honest about that. Can I pray for you? Would you slip up your hand all across the auditorium? God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. My hand's up with you. I struggle with this too. Let's pray together about that. God, I, I pray that you would help us to overcome the fear of what other people think. That we would stop trying to live for the applause of men and live for the applause of one. That we might live our lives for an audience of one, our Lord, our God, our Creator, our Savior. That we might one day stand before you and hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. May we desire to hear that more than anything else. May we desire the approval from you more than the approval of people. As you continue an attitude of prayer, I believe that some of you, God is speaking to you in this way. You know just like God asked Mary to do something and asked Joseph to do something and take a step of faith, you know right now that there's something that God is wanting you to do. But you're afraid. That's normal. We're human. You're scared. But you know it's what God wants you to do. Maybe it's to start something. Maybe it's to stop something. But you know there's an act of obedience that God is calling you to. But maybe you're a little scared of what the outcome will be. Maybe you're afraid of what people will think. What will your friends think? What will your neighbors think? What will other family members think? But you know that God is asking you to do something. Can I pray for you right now if that's you? And you say, yes, I'm, I'm going to lift up my hand for prayer because there's something I know that God wants me to do. I pray that I would have the courage, the strength, and the faith to take a step of obedience. Can I pray for you if that's you? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands everywhere. God bless you. Imagine what God could do if all of you, if all of us took those steps of faith, whatever he's calling us to, to change the world. Father, I pray for those that you're specifically speaking to their heart today. There's something you've laid on their heart that you've called them to do. That you've led them to do through your spirit and through your word. You've confirmed him and with other believers. And, and God, whatever you've called us to do, we pray that we would step into your purposes and plans for our life. That we would take a step of faith. We take a step of obedience, believing that you will do extraordinary things through our ordinary acts of obedience. And that we would hear stories of celebration and blessing where people have trusted you. Because we know wherever you guide, you provide. We continue in prayer. Let me just ask one more question. There's, there's maybe some of you here today, and you've, you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that's what Christmas is all about. God sent his son Jesus to die for you, to pay for your sins so you could have a home in heaven, eternal life, a relationship with your God and your creator. The most important thing for some of you to hear today in the scriptures in Matthew is this. When God, when the angel told Joseph, when he's born, you're to name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save people from their sins. Have you ever been saved from your sins? If you haven't, that's what God wants you to experience today. That's why he sent his son 2,000 years ago. That's what Christmas is all about. That God sent the Savior of the world to save you. So if you're here today and you've never made that decision, I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision. 
I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to stand up, to come up, speak up, or anything like that. I'm going to allow you to make this decision in your heart between you and God right now where you sit through a simple prayer that I'll help you with. Now, it's not a magic prayer, and these aren't magic words, but if you put faith and belief behind it and it comes from your heart, you can invite Jesus into your life today. This could be a life-changing day for you. This could be a life-changing Christmas for you. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me from your heart to God's and mean it right where you sit? It goes like this. Jesus, I do believe in you. I believe you were sent to save people from their sins. Specifically to save me from my sins. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want to know you. I want to accept the gift of eternal life today. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, saving me, allowing me to be a part of your family. Thank you. So continue an attitude of prayer. No one looking around for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I would never want to do that. But I'd love the privilege and honor if you just made that decision for the first time and prayed that prayer of faith. I'd love to pray for you that you would grow in your walk and relationship with Jesus from this day forward. Would you just slip up your hands so I can see it and I can pray for you? If you say, yes, I prayed that fair prayer of faith. I invited Jesus to my life. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, a couple of young people over there. God bless you guys. Anyone else? Yes, over to my left. I think I saw him. God bless you. Just put them up nice and high so I can see him just for a moment. God bless you. Yes, thank you several people. Let me pray for you. Father, we rejoice and we celebrate with those experiencing new life in Christ this morning. Lord, may we never get tired or used to people turning their lives over to you, accepting you as Lord and Savior. Lord, this morning we're seeing people accept the greatest gifts of any Christmas, the gift of salvation. And may we rejoice and celebrate like we know is happening in heaven right now where it says that even when one person makes a decision for Christ, that a party in heaven breaks out among the angels. May we celebrate with that same kind of excitement and enthusiasm here at Orchard Church. And may we live lives that are pleasing to you and that we're more concerned about what you think than what people think, that we would take the steps of faith that you call us to. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we invite some new people into the family and celebrate them this morning? Amen. If you made a decision for Christ this morning, you raised your hand and said, yes, I prayed that prayer. Please let us know about that on your connection card so we continue to pray for you and send you some materials in the mail that will help you in your walk with Christ. If you're a first-time guest, thanks so much for being our guest here at Orchard Church. We hope we blessed you as much as you blessed us by being with us today. Hopefully you fill out your guest connection card. If you did, you can drop that in the offering bucket when it goes by. We are not interested in your money today, guest, but we're definitely interested in you. Let us know you're here. We'll send you a thank you note and a free gift in the mail. And I'd love to meet you personally. If I haven't met you, I'll be standing right out front in the courtyard. And so just look for the guy in the red sweater that's freezing to death and come by and shake my hand because I want to meet you first-time guest today. Uh, next week is Christmas Sunday. You, you want to be here, and you don't want to be here alone. Let's all invite someone to be here for Christmas Sunday. Invite someone for Christmas Eve. Uh, we know we're going to see a lot of people come to Christ next Sunday and Christmas Eve. Let's take advantage of the opportunity this Christmas season. Amen, Orchard Church? So don't come alone next week. Let's stand as we close in a song of worship and worship through our gifts. God bless you for being here. Have a Merry Christmas. I love you guys.